You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. There's a piece in the Bhagavad Gita that talks about, you know, even when you reach this enlightened state, um, you still show up and do the work. <laughs> there, yep. You're not done. Like enlightenment is not the end. Um, you just keep showing up, waking up every day and doing the work. So it's misguided, I think, to think that we would ever be finished. That was Ashley Josephine Zuberi, yoga teacher, author, and former teammate of Team PF. In this episode, we discuss the power of reframing yoga, spiritual practices, and mindfulness so that we can actually weave them into our days and make them work for us. Our goal is to remind us all that yoga, spiritual practices, and philosophy are best suited to help us live our actual lives more fully rather than trying to create an ideal version of ourselves and lives. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Ashley, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. Um, I always have enjoyed talking to you. And, um, you know, I just want to bring listeners in who may not know this because it's been a minute. Ashley used to be one of our core teammates way back in 2013, 2014. Um, yes. And she moved on to um, because of a combination of motherhood and really growing her own business. Um, and to this day, in um, Team PF, there's still a lot of great references to Ashley's work. Um, so she's sort of this internal person, like, who's Ashley? So everyone, this is Ashley. Hello. Thank you so much, Charlie. I, it's always so good to talk to you, too. I'm really happy cool. to be here. What we're going to be talking about today is um, really rethinking what yoga maybe some mindfulness, maybe what spiritual practices can be. And I hope making them more accessible for people um, because, um, well, let's put it, <laughs> well, I'll say it this way. And we're just going to jump right in, Ashley. Um, if you listen to podcasts, you've no doubt heard people talk about yoga. You've heard people talk about meditation practices, mindfulness practices, all these things. And yet it seems to be one of those things of developing that practice is um, forever on the to-do list, but not on the to-done list. So what's the holdup, Ashley? Well, it's never done. That's the problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and to make it a little bit more practical, maybe, for people is, to me, it's the same thing with, like, a website. So often, you know, when I was on Team PF, I was I was with the team in a marketing role, and that's kind of my professional background. And so... I still, to this day, do a little bit of work with marketing. And when I mentor some of the yoga teachers that I work with, one of the questions they always ask me is, you know, what, what do I need to put together my website? And I find that people always come to me with the idea that they're just going to put together this website once, and then it's going to be done. And that's the end of the story. And they can move on to these other projects. And I have to remind them that a website is never done. You are constantly evolving and changing it because you're constantly evolving and changing the work that you do. And um, the same is true with 
practice, spiritual practice, yoga practice, you know, whatever it's, it's never done. Um, and in fact, right before this conversation, I was recording a teaching on the Bhagavad Gita and, um, there's a piece in the Bhagavad Gita that talks about, you know, even when you reach this enlightened state, um, you still show up and do the work <laughs> there. Yep. You're not done. Like enlightenment is not the end. Um, you just keep showing up, waking up every day and doing the work. So it's misguided, I think, to think that we would ever be finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, it's the, it's actually, um, the Buddhists say it is, you know, before enlightenment, you know, fetch water, chop wood, right? After enlightenment, fetch water, chop wood, right? Yeah. Is that there's still these mundane things, but there's a new sort of meaning and magic on top of those mundane things that that give it a different sort of purpose and things like that. Um, but I love that you mentioned that because though I framed it as to done, what I meant to say is it's one of those things people keep meaning to get to, right? Um, and don't for different reasons. Um, and yeah, websites, more like gardens than buildings, y'all, right? You're always going to be replanting and, and retrimming and pruning and finding out that the thing you thought was great was not, um, and so on. Um, but I think part of what goes on for people is when we use words like meditation or yoga or, you know, spiritual practice, um, I think it conjures up a lot of difficulty and a lot of hard in the sense of like, Oh, that means I need to sit for like an hour. Right. And do that. Or I need to have this really deep prayer practice, or I need to have like all of these types of things. And it does not have to be that way. It doesn't. And it is hard. I think that that's the reason why, you know, it's always on the to-do list and people don't want to do it because it is really hard and it requires a lot of experimentation and people are looking for someone to tell them what to do. And with these types of practices, I, I'm a yoga teacher. I can stand in front of the room and tell you how to, you know, move your body. Um, I could give you a mantra to use to meditate on. I could tell you how to sit in meditation, but I can't actually do the work for you. So it, it is very challenging and hard work to do. And there isn't necessarily one right way to do it. It takes a lot of practice to get to the point where you found something that works for you, that's relevant to you. And so um, there's, there's no shortcut. Um, and we are all looking for shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> in everything that we do. Um, and so it's, it's really tough. And I think one of the ways that so many of us can start to integrate these practices into our life in a more practical way is like you said at the beginning, rethinking what is required in order to have a practice. And so um, you mentioned also in the very beginning in, in the introduction, you know, I'm a mom, I've got a two and a half year old and a three month old right now. And some days, the best that I can do is keep my cool when my two and a half year old barges in while I'm in the middle of a recording, um, and not, you know, fly off the handle and yell. And, you know, how do I keep that calm, steady mind, even in the midst of all the challenges that are thrown at me on any given day? How do you stay calm and steady when your three-month-old refuses to sleep? 
Um, these are spiritual practices too. I call that yoga and it's a rethinking because like you said, so many people think to meditate, I have to sit on the cushion for 60 minutes to practice yoga. I have to go to a studio, roll out my mat and do all of these poses for 60 minutes. And if I haven't sweat all the water in my body out, then I haven't done anything. And that's not true at all. Um, these practices are most practical when you're able to apply it into those moments when you're challenged in everyday life. Yeah. I hadn't told you this yet, but, um, I, last year I had to tell a different story about my relationship to yoga because prior to 2020 and really, you know, 2021, my thing was like, yeah, yoga's not for me. Um, it, you know, a lot of the energy that I need to process needs to get out. And it always felt like yoga was pushing it more in. <laughs> it's like, I don't need more of that. Um, but Peloton taught me that I actually do not um, dislike yoga. What I don't like is 60 to 90 minute yoga sessions. I love 15 to 20 minute yoga sessions, right? Um, and I was like, oh, it's not the practice. It's the duration in that context that made me not like it, right? Um, and, you know, I also learned that, okay, I can do these shorter sessions and then pair them with other things that get energy out of me. And that combination worked really well for me. But like going and neurotically focusing on my breathing and a pose for an hour, it's like, I do not, I no, I do not need that, right, in my life. Um, but, you know, I think it was an epiphany for me, right? And I'm like, I should know this by now, right? <laughs> I should know this, um, that while there are these ancient traditions that many, many people like, like if I don't value it, like maybe play with some different variations to make it work for me. And that was the variation that worked for me. By the way, I found out that you can do too much yoga um, throughout this process. Um, so that was also something else I learned. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think it's important to note in that story too. I think that when you're talking about yoga specifically, you're talking about asana, right? Mm -hmm. Like the physical practice. And I find that is one of my own personal pet peeves in our Western mind. When we say yoga, the immediate thing that comes to mind is, you know, practicing the poses, but yoga is very much more than just practicing the poses. And so, you know, you can be practicing yoga and be practicing mindfulness or meditation. Um, you know, when you go and read the ancient texts, there is no mention of these poses. So, yoga in its original form was a meditation practice. So I always find it kind of funny when people say, Oh, I'm a meditation teacher, but I don't teach yoga. Like, uh, no, you're teaching yoga. <laughs> um, but you know, now we have these different words that we use and they have different meanings and contexts behind them based on how and where we live today. And so it's just, you know, part of my work these days is just helping people remember that it, it's all yoga if you're approaching it with intentionality and um, and that's where we come back to this rethinking what is it that you're doing um, you know for yoga practice and, and I love that you said the duration is really what helped you get kind of hooked on it. We get really stuck and I find this with teachers because I work so much with yoga teachers we get really stuck in these formats that have just been popularized. And coming to think that like, this is the way that this must be done, because 
everything that's offered in a studio is always 60 minutes. And so all of a sudden yoga can only be yoga if it's 60 minutes long. What the pandemic did was teach us that that is not true, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that you do not have to go to a studio in order to have yoga practice, that you don't have to do a 60 minute class, that five minutes might be enough. One minute might be enough. Um, And, you know, that's the challenge for teachers is to rethink how they choose to teach what they're teaching in shorter formats and also the challenge for students to rethink, I've heard from so many students, oh, I, you know, I'm not actually doing yoga if I don't show up for the full class, like I'm cheating my son. No, that's not, that's not the case at all. Who, who is it? Like what yoga God said that yoga has to be 60 minutes and these performance of postures, the answer is none. No one ever said that, um, but it's just kind of been popularized and then what we come to expect. And it's really hard to get outside of those structures. Well, yeah, the philosopher and spiritual seeker in me, like after I had these epiphanies, I was like, why wouldn't we want to do like two 15, 20 minute sessions a day rather than one long session? If we had the choice, when we think about what it does for us and how it helps you ground and how it helps, you know, all of those things, it seems like a higher frequency, (laughs) Right. That gets you in that state and, and helps you stay in that state would be better than like, oh, I'm going for an hour three times a week. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. Some that looks traditions like. do have you do that where you do practices in the morning and at night, ideally, like right when you get up to kind of prep you for your day. And then at the end of the day, after you're done with work to kind of prep you for your evening and winding down. Um Again, that's not specific to asana poses, but, you know, in meditation traditions, we see that much more frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're dancing around is the, um, you know, assimilation or, you know, um, co-opting of other traditions into a Western paradigm. Like, Ashley, in other places, you've heard me rail about the hegemony of an hour for meetings. Like, why do we just assume meetings need to be an hour? Why can't they be 42 minutes? right or 20 or whatever it looks like but we just assume like hey let's meet and it's an hour right or it's 30 minutes it's the same hegemony right of like we have to use these very mechanical or very standardized ways of thinking but if you go to traditions outside of the west especially when you start talking about spiritual traditions or relational transition traditions it's almost anathema to think like we're going to set this to a clock like Yoga starts when it starts and it ends when it ends, right? And that's that's what it is. Or these communal spiritual practices, they start when they start and they end when they end. And Westerners, that always messes us up because it's like, so should I be there at like two? And they're like, eh, midday. What is that, <laughs> right? Um, and so, I mean, I, it's funny. I, I get introduced to this in a very weird way that it took me 20 years later is like black church can be like that. Right. In the Mm -hmm. sense of it it can be like an all day thing. But if you're thinking about it from like a Western, especially a Western European Christian tradition, it's like, no, we start church at 10 and then we end at 12 and then we meet at Western Cis for at 1230. That's how this works, people. Right. And it's like, oh, well, there are different ways this can show up. Um, I just didn't recognize that when I was younger because no one said, no one told me about, you know, really the hegemony of Western paradigms in that way. Cause that's a rich topic of, you know, like, <laughs> like I was saying before in our green room is like, Charlie does well with small topics, right? Um, that, yeah. that's my, that's the, my <laughs> format. I'm great at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing too, that is interesting is that this, you know, 
I'm very, very German, very, very German. (laughs) (laughs) So like there's, you know, I get that whole, like, you know, I need, things need to be on time. The whole saying, like, if you're not early, you're late. Like all of that was just driven into me when I was young. Um, And, and it's helpful, you know, like, sure, those structures can be helpful sometimes. And that's the reality of the world that we live in for many of us. But also Mm -hmm. there is this, idea that so much of that is driving the underlying cause I've realized of all of that is in the name of efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Like so that everything can be done as efficiently as possible, but you have to step back and ask the question, is that what I really need to do here? Do I need this to be as efficient as possible? And when it comes to spiritual practice, we're not looking for efficiency. <laughs> um, we're looking for, you know, quality and depth, and quality and depth aren't things that happen in hour-long meetings, right? Um, and that's not to say that they can't, you know, why can't depth and quality happen in five breaths? You know, and that might take you 30 seconds. And it might take you 50 years to get to the depth and the quality that is really needed for you to, you know, finally find that steady state of mind that you've been looking for. There is no time, you know, well, and then, then we get really philosophical and have to start talking about like the concept of time, right. <laughs> and, and how that is just a construct too. So. Well, which concept of time? <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's a whole conversation that yes, Ashley, I think have, have danced around that as we, you know, you teach people about planning and seasons and times and you realize, wait a second, there are at least three, maybe four different variations of how we understand time. And it depends on how we're thinking at a time, no point intended, like how we think about time. Um, yeah, um, it reminds me, I didn't get this from Eight Dates, which is a book everyone should read if you're in a relationship or you want to be in a relationship. Just great. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but something Angela and I started practicing was, you know, when we have our hugs, especially our morning hugs, um, to extend those. Right. So opposed to that sort of transactional, if you're in a relationship, you know what I'm talking about. There's like that good morning hug where hopefully there's a good morning hug. I hope you have that, but not judging. Um, It's a good thing to have. But it's like, you know, three to five seconds. Like, hey, how are you doing? What happens when you extend that to 45 seconds? And you're able to sync with each other's breathing. And you're able to sync with each other's emotions and you're able to really feel the other person's body and, and be there in that moment. It's transformative. Right. Um, I might steal Ashley's word and say that's yoga. Right. Um, but all it was, was just taking this behavior that we do auto, almost automatically out of road. Like it's a great bonding, you know, practice that we have together, but saying let's actually make more intention and depth and longevity behind that um, and really be with each other as opposed to have the symbol or the ritual of us being together. Yeah. One of the things that I do with um, the texts that I, I do a lot of teaching of the yogic texts and they're really hard to understand for the Western mind as all philosophy texts in any <laughs> tradition are. Including um, Western ones. <laughs> including yes. Western ones. Um, but so what I've found helpful is to kind of, as, as you're reading these texts, find what I consider the, like the overriding universal principles that they're really speaking to. And that is what people can relate to. So when you told that story just now, to me, the reason why that was yoga, the hug extending it to 45 seconds is because 
what it really helped you do was tune into the present moment, right? And it was two people tuning into the same present moment and allowing to hold space together for each other in that presence. And that's what makes it yoga. You know, you can't say that every hug is yoga, but when you are hugging like that for, you know, that 45 seconds and you get to that space, that then becomes your yoga practice because you're practicing presence. And presence is one of those principles that's talked about over and over and over again in the texts. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, you know, the, this distinction we're talking about between yoga as asana and yoga as the full practice reminds me of the distinction between tantra and sort of the, you know, the sex aspect of it. And people are like, it's about that. And I'm like, actually, it's about transforming this behavior that you do on this one level to this other one, right? And it's it's how do we inject more of our full person, more of our full selves into this act as opposed to you know, more of our baser selves. Um, not that one is, well, I will say that, you know, the more we can be full bodied and full personed in our activities, the richer those activities become. So usually I would not say normative, I would not be normative saying one is better than the other, but I think most of us would agree that the more presence we can have in some of these activities, just whether it's eating, whether it's being with your partner, whether it's being able to calm the frustration of that you have with your two-year-old barging in right into a recording session. But the more you can pull your full selves into that moment, the richer that experience is. Um, and it's just this sort of magical thing. But it, our point here is that it doesn't have to be this externalized, rote, hour-long, 90-minute, like you go have someone else do this with you. Like So much of spirituality is what happens in the moment in the real world and not what happens in these special containers that we create around them. Yeah. And then I think there's a perfectionism aspect too that comes into like, you know, if you can bring your full self to your work, that becomes a little bit problematic sometimes in our Western concept of what work is because our Western concept of what work is often pigeonholes us into that you have to show up in this one specific perfect way that nobody in their full expressed selves would ever show up as. So when I was doing my recording and my son ran in, you know, the, the, you know, they, the ambiguous they who would dictate what needs to happen in that instance would say, my recording is ruined. I need to start all over again and make sure that it's perfect. And me bringing my full self to that recording, you know, calmly hit pause on the recording, dealt with my son wanting to eat his graham crackers, and then came back, pressed play, acknowledged that that's what just happened and found a way to make that part of the teaching because that was exactly you know, what I was talking about. How do you maintain a sense of steadiness of mind and calmness in these moments when you're, you know, thrown off course? That is yoga. That was a teaching. <laughs> that was something that I just practiced in the middle of my recording. Here, let me show you um, that even when I'm recording and teaching this, I can find all these instances in my day to help show you how this works. <laughs> Yeah, in a very similar vein, we've had some recent hires at Team PF, and um, we've made you know some intentions to hire moms, right? Um, as well um, through the Mom Project, which is a great resource. We'll link up in the show notes. Um, but during some interviews, we had some moms show up and have the interviews, and then like kids would do their things. They're like, "I'm so sorry," and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here. Let's yeah. normalize this." Right. The reality is we are working at home with our families and with our kids. 
And once we address that there was this way that we told ourselves we had to be, that was just an intersubjective reality <laughs> that we created, like we can create new agreements. Once we understand that that was an agreement that we can negotiate, maybe we can come over here and say like, but what, how cool is it actually that we don't have to like distance ourselves from our kids throughout the day um, because we have to go to work. Like that's actually been much more of the human experience is actually working in and with and around your family than over the last 200 years. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm like, this is actually like who we are and who we can be. So like, no, like let's pull them in. Who's your kid? Like, let's talk. Like it's okay. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm like, that's the moment that we have in front of us. And we can choose to create a new, a new, better work world. And I mean, we have to anyways because of COVID. So why not create the one that actually enables us to be in relationship with people, full relationship, right? And so maybe some people might find it unprofessional that I know all of my employees, um, what the name of their kids are and how old they are and things like that. Yes, maybe that is unprofessional. But if that's what being professional means, that I can address that this really meaningful part of my teammate's life. Um, and understand them. Like, I can't know that. And we can't talk about that assuming they want to, if they don't want to, obviously that's on them. And I'm, I'm willing to honor that. But why is it that way as opposed to this way when we can be our full selves at work too? Yeah. And I think that that brings so much more compassion into the, the relation, the work relationship, uh, which is another huge principle in yoga philosophy. Um, and, you know, all we've heard about over the past couple of years is all of the negative things about what COVID has done to this generation of kids. And certainly there are things that are not great. But on the other hand, you know, what about this generation of kids that might grow up seeing their parents work and um, seeing like being able to be with their parents a little bit more, uh, be around them a little bit more? Is it tough and challenging? Yes, of course. But you know, how cool is it for this generation of kids to be able to have seen that and, you know, move into work once they get there, again, normalizing this, this new idea of work. So there's potential and opportunity there if we can get outside of those constructs and structures that are just arbitrary. Yeah. Um, arbitrary or fixed because we agree they're fixed. Let's put it that way. Um, and that, in case you want to read more about that, that was um, from the book Sapiens. I was reading about the you know, different types of um, reality, the objective, subjective, and intersubjective. And so what we're talking about is this intersubjective where it's like money, right? We agree that this dollar or this cotton paper that's got five, you know, the number five and a dollar sign in front of it means something. And because we all agree, it does mean something. Um, however, what fiat currency, crypto, and all that jazz is, is sort of pushing up against is what if we put value on something else? Like, and how do we compare those things? And that's what's tripping people out about crypto and Bitcoin and all those sort of whatnots is because there are some people, there are enough people in our society that are saying these random string of digits, right, and ways that we're trading them have value to us. And they're like, no, that can't be like $5 is real. Crypto is not real. It's like, let's think about that, right? Why is cloth paper with a five with five dollars on it more real than this other thing more real than beads more real than goats more real than all the other things we traded in our society yeah i mean it's just you know we've placed value on tangible we do indeed and, and that intangible is you know 
bringing it back to yoga, like the intangible is where so much value and worth is and understanding like, you know, true self, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that's intangible. There's, it doesn't look like anything. It's a felt experience. And I can't tell you what that looks like or how to feel it or how to get there. Um, but it has immense power and value. <laughs> yeah. And while it may seem that our diversion into crypto is, is really a side trail, really one of the things when you start thinking about spiritual practices and yoga, meditation, mindfulness, whatever your word, it could be contemplation and prayer if you're from the West, right? We're saying versions of the same thing, just different traditions speaking to them, is that it actually does have you start questioning what's real, what's not why do I value some things over each other? So there is actually a link between crypto and spiritual practices in this way, because you might realize that, wait a second, the reason I'm so anxious is because that person stood me up for that meeting. And I'm so pissed, right? How disrespectful that was, so on and so forth. But that moment of, ref- of breathing and reflection and yoga and prayer and things like that might be like, wait a second, that teammate has like four kids, Right. And it's just as likely that something happened with their kids that they needed to attend to um, than meeting this. Or there could be a technology glitch or there can be all sorts of other things. And so in that moment, you're able to shift from the quote unquote reality that you got stood up and you were disrespected and blah, 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 all those stories. Right. To say, you know what? There are a lot of equally plausible stories that way that could have been happened. That's not about me so much. Right. So what if I lean into that sense of possibility and grace and compassion and approach my response to this scenario, as opposed to be like, Hey, Ashley, like we had a, we had a three o'clock and you weren't there. And like, what's going on? Like anybody got time for that these days. Right. And you know, you can let that ruin your day, but what good does that do? Like that doesn't do anything for you. So you got to let go of that and move on. Um, and if you can do that with the compassion, then that's all the better for the relationship. Right. Um, but also then there's the, the inquiry, which is a practice in and of itself, right. You know, what is yoga? This, I love asking that question to the trainees that I train that's the question they get asked on the first day of training. It's the question on the final exam. Like, what is yoga? Um, and how does your understanding of that evolve over time as you work with this more? And inquiry and contemplation, questioning is a huge part of the practice as well. Um, so like you said, asking yourself those questions, taking a moment to pause and step back and like, why am I getting so angry about this? Why do things have to be this way? there's value in that. Um, not to say that you're going to have an answer, but, you know, sit with that for a little while and see what comes up. And that's yoga practice too. Yeah. Something that's been really good. I mean, it's one of those surprise and I, I get, since we're having the conversation, we get to define what a spiritual practice is, right? That's, those are the rules of the game, right? <laughs> um, but so many listeners know that Angela is currently going through a post-concussive syndrome. So she had another um, thing that happened with her head, one going to a long story. But um, so she's going through an actual protocol for that to, to heal her brain. And she's currently really forgetful um, about things and can't multi-process things in the way that, that some of us can. And I also have another teammate who um, is wonderful, but also has ADHD. And so two of the people that I work with really closely are prone to forget things, 
right? Um, Ashley might remember this, but most people know I usually have a really good memory, right? And so if we talk about something, I remember what that is. Um, and so this period has been a lot of reflection, deep reflection over like, oh, what if I didn't get frustrated or angry when teammates who are going through different things and forget things, forget things? Like, what if it was just, okay, they they forgot it. There's a lot going on. Or, you know, in the case of Angela, she can't remember, right, right now. So throwing additional frustration at her or anger at her or more frustration about the situation doesn't help anything, actually. It makes things much, much worse, right? Um, my other teammate, right, um, with ADHD is very similar to that. It's like, what if I shifted this from they are not adopting all the strategies that help you memorize things to just being like, they forget things. It's part of it's part of something that they're working with. Okay. Like it happens, we can move on, we can have different conversations. And so it's been this deep sort of reflection of like, oh, hmm, how much of my life, how much of my world have I put around stories, um, around people's functioning and what they can or can't do that I didn't know was there? And what happens when I play with, maybe they can't, right? Or maybe that's just not where they are right now. Um how does that shift things in this relationship and, and add more love and grace and sort of equanimity to it as opposed to, you know, where we can show off when people forget things? Yeah. And that's, you know, really kind of moving towards this philosophical idea of, you know, uniting. So if you, everybody will say, you know, what yoga actually means is to yoke or to come into union or to unite and, it's about, you know, how do we come into the collective versus being, it's not all about you. That's what, you know, you just said that it's not all about me and how, you know, this person standing me up for that meeting ruined my day and how dare they disrespect me. And then that's all about the ego, the the personal identity and everything revolving around you and your world and not taking into consideration the other person. So deconstructing this allows you to kind of bring into consideration the collective and everybody else and all the other pieces that make the world work and understanding that we are all, we're all part of the world. Um, and we have to figure out how to live with each other. (laughs) And so we can get annoyed and angry at people and choose to live that way. Or we can choose to pause and step back and say, this is who this person is. There's no judgment there. It's just what's at in front of me and now how are we going to move forward and work with it yeah i'm glad you mentioned to the how because there's some listener right now was like hey y'all this is great and all but like how what what do i do with this like how do i go forward from this conversation and so um since you are the yoga teacher on this one i'm going to defer to you on giving some um practice steps or some how steps here i mean first i think it would be useful for people to look at what it is they already do in their life to identify where they might have the potential to be practicing yoga or spirituality or whatever you want to call it in the things that you already do Um, so that you don't have to add something else to your to-do list. It's not about saying like, well, now I need to get up five minutes earlier to do my meditation or whatever. Like, what is it that you're already doing in your life where you have these opportunities to, you know, maybe it's just breathe. Maybe it's, you know, simply pausing. Maybe it's 
walking and taking some time to acknowledge nature and be in the moment and practice presence. And so I'm sure that every single listener has something that they're already doing in their day where they have the opportunity to make it a yoga practice. Um, And so first, identify what you're already doing and where you can find ways to become more present. Then, you know, ask yourself, what is it that you are drawn to? So like, Charlie, you said you were able to figure out in yourself that you need to get energy out. So you have to kind of take a moment to assess in yourself, what is it that you need? Do you need to get your energy out? Then maybe you're going to be more drawn towards physical practices, in which case maybe you try some physical practices. And it doesn't have to be yoga, as in like the yoga poses, maybe running is what really works for you. And allowing yourself to just be in the moment in your run is what's going to help you get that energy out. Great. Um, Maybe you need to come a little bit more inward because you feel really super scattered. You know, try sitting for a minute, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. What I find happens is that people have these definitions of what they think these practices are and then immediately say, I can't do that. (laughs) So, you know, for the yoga, the yoga asana, the postures, people tell me every single day, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible enough. Okay. Well, nobody said you had to be flexible to do yoga and practicing yoga will help you become more flexible. So, um, it's not about being flexible. It's just about being willing to show up and try, uh, and try it. And maybe you don't like it. That doesn't mean that you shelve the whole thing and say, Oh, well, I don't practice yoga. It means that you just try a different practice. So similarly with meditation, I hear so many people tell me I can't meditate. I can't sit down and let my mind stop and become calm, um, for X amount of time. Well, one meditation isn't about making your mind completely blank. Um, but also maybe you just try it for 30 seconds, one minute, and then work your way up. And so be gentle with yourself. I would say in the how assess where you're at, find ways to integrate what you already do. Um, and then just be willing to try, try a bunch of different practices, practices and find what works best for you. And try not to get caught up in these structures that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I love that. Um, a quick, some quick commentary on that. Like, I'm glad you mentioned it's not about adding a bunch of new things because one quick tip that as I've been coaching people is like, actually, the path is also is often eliminating things. Right. So rather than drinking coffee and catching up on the news for the day, how about you just drink coffee? Right. Um, did you really need to catch up with the news? Did you really need to do that? And so elimination, the, the line from the Dao Ching, one of my favorite lines, and if you got your bingo card, you get points for this one, is with knowledge, daily gain, with wisdom, daily loss. Right. And so what can you eliminate? How can you stop someone multitasking? Um, so, for instance, um, though I might not stretch it and call it a spiritual practice, I know when I'm overwhelmed and scattered what I immediately need to do is grab a notepad and a pencil and walk away from all electronic devices. 
right? And whatever starts coming up, like I need to do this or I need to grind, like just sit there with a pencil in my hand. Sometimes I don't even write, but it's just grounding and getting away from all of it helps me do that, right? So eliminating, getting getting to that point. Um, the other thing that I'll say here is when it starts talking about energy getting out, like for me, slam ball, um, you know, weight training, boxing, those types of things are the things that actually get some of this energy out of me, right? Um, and you know, most people would not call that yoga, but again, we get to define it, right? Is what, how can I get in flow and do that? And the third piece I would say, and this might be challenging for some of us, listen to your body. Um, listen to your body. And if it's, you know, it, if you learn to listen to it, it will tell you what it needs. And when it, you do what it needs, the rest of you will follow suit a lot of the time. Yeah. And that one's really hard. A lot of people, you know, we can say, listen to your body over and over again. And there are many people out there who just that functioning has been so atrophied in their self that it's not possible. And so it takes some retraining uh, and it takes some practice. And remember, it's hard. (laughs) So you have to just keep showing up and keep trying. And the principles that um, you've been speaking to are focus, like sitting down and taking that pad of paper and pencil is eliminating all the distractions and allowing you to just sit down and focus. That's a huge principle in yoga. And also letting go. That's the same thing. I just call it letting go. Everything that yoga is teaching you to do is how to let go, how to just to let it all go. Um, and I'll, I'll always remember a student one day after class asked me, she was like, Ashley, you were talking about, you know, letting go in yoga practice. And how do you do that? (laughs) I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. Like that's, that's the ultimate, the ultimate teaching here. Um, I'm still working on it, but that's going to be a lifelong practice and figuring out how we let go and ultimately, you know, yoga is a practice of letting go, letting go of all the things that we've piled onto ourselves, all the expectations, all the conditioning, all of it is letting it go and, and asking, does this really serve me? Is this really what I want? Um, and, and that's the practice. Yeah. It, if you look at the history of philosophy and spirituality, um, and you look at the evolution of Buddhism from Hinduism, right? And really what what happened there is this letting go practice is actually the core gem that Buddha picked up. And it was attachment that created suffering. And what is attachment? It's hanging on to something, right? And so developed a whole practice, actually, a whole, what we would call a world religion now, around deep practices on letting go. Yeah. Right? Um, That's how important those things are. I wish... Well, y'all know, because I say it all the time, simple is not easy, right? And another favorite quote from Dottie Ching, so you get two bonus points for this bingo card holders, is um, the Tao, when you mean the spiritual way, is broad and plain, but people prefer the side paths, right? And it's it's talking to this sort of scenario, like what we need to do is pretty straightforward. <laughs> like you just kind of got to do it. But we get crafty and we want to take these side roads and we want to hack it. We want a shortcut. We want a way there. And it's like if we just walk down the damn road, right, we would get where we're trying to go. And so that you see versions of that throughout all the world religions, right? Um, it's just the, the way is broad and plain. And what that makes me think of is Charlie Talk, Bright Shiny Objects, right? Like <laughs> we just get 
we get distracted um, by the things that seem really cool and new and um, tech forward and all this stuff. And it's just like the old paper and pencil, you know, that's just what's going to help us at the end of the day. We don't need to invent, reinvent the wheel or do anything new. You just got to put your boots on the ground and do the work. <laughs> yeah. So it's a guy developing an app. Yep. Uh, moving on, though, <laughs> you know, um, what I want to pull in real quick as we start wrapping up is um, well, let's address the reality that, you know, though we're up here talking about things we can do, we still have our own challenges and struggles. So when it comes to your yoga or spiritual practice, what are you most challenged by now, Ashley? Well, I would say that I'm very challenged right in this moment with finding ways to integrate my work into who I am and what I'm doing. Right. So, um, you know, you know, I just moved, this is, I think what, like the eighth move in 10 years or something because we're a military family. And, um, so we just moved, I have a three month old, that's my second child. We moved to a place where we don't have childcare right now. So we're kind of re-navigating that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like there's a lot going on in the world. Turns out. Yeah. Um, and in my life. And so I've had to really kind of step back and re-examine what and how I'm going to show up in my work, what that's going to look like. And that's proven to be really difficult in the moment in um, me having to make some really hard choices on and you, this is what everyone is going through, right? Like, especially women, especially moms during the pandemic, like figuring out how they're going to show up and work, even not during the pandemic, the age old, like figuring out, you know, am I going to just do mom? And that's going to be my work. And how do I live with that? And for some people, that's great and wonderful. And they love that work. And for other people, it just eats at them all day long. Um, and so I'm navigating, you know, how do I show up and do the work that I want to do and also be there to show up for my kids? And that's the real world stuff that's challenging me right now. Um, and, you know, I can do as much yoga, asana practice, meditation, whatever as I want to do. And that doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> um, it's still there. So I still have to work with that every day with what comes up and keep questioning and trying different things and, and figuring it out as I go along and, and know that there's a lot of letting go there, letting go of what I think I need to be and how I need to show up and how that needs to happen. And rethinking and reimagining and being okay with that, um, having compassion, being gentle for myself. So that's how I'm putting my practice into play these days. Um, because for those that have young, young children, three month old, like there is no time to be on a mat for 60 minutes. Like I'm lucky if I get on the mat for five minutes without having a child jump all over me and someone screaming. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, what so many of the moms in our community have taught me is that especially when you have young, young ones, like three years and three months old, young ones, like individuating yourself from them and ha being a person that's not just like, you know, a walking food factory <laughs> um, can be difficult, right? Um, because that's just biology and all those things going on. And so, yeah finding the space to actually be a person separate from that. I imagine that would be really difficult. Yeah. And 
the yoga philosophy would say, and you know, I've had teachers tell this to me before too, like make the parenting, the spiritual practice, find ways to connect and unite with the people in front of you and be present with the moments that you have and shift your mindset and do all that. And that can be one way um, to do things. It might not work for everyone. And there are, you know, that's not to say that you have to give yourself up. It's for me, everything is about integrating, integrating all the pieces of who I am and finding ways for me to show up in everything that I do. Um, And that's going to look different every day sometimes. So it's a struggle. and I just keep figuring out, like, what are we going to do today? How, how are we going to show up what that's going to look like? And, and where are the lessons here that I can draw from? Where can I pull the yoga in? Because when my kids are 10 and 12, I will have more time, maybe in different ways to go out and do different things and take these lessons and this wisdom that I've learned and integrate it into how I show up and teach. Yeah, I'll say something that our shared families will understand, but checkpoint to checkpoint, <laughs> you know, checkpoint to checkpoint. Um, and sometimes that's how you got to roll. Um, so um, as the guest on today's episode, you get to leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation, depending upon what most resonates with you. So based upon what we've talked about, what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do? I'm going to go with the invitation. And my invitation is... For the listeners to take some time today to just try, try something that helps you find more peace. Um, It can be anything. It doesn't have to be yoga asana. It doesn't have to be meditation. It doesn't have to be formal. Just try to walk outside and look at the sky and breathe. Just try to pause, close your eyes, stop looking at the computer screen for two seconds. Just try something that helps you come to that space and feel more equanimity and harmony and balance in your life uh, and see how that feels. Thanks so much for that, Ashley. Um, It's been a wonderful conversation. I knew it'd be great. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to our next conversation too. Thanks, Charlie. All right, listeners. So you heard it from Ashley. What will you try today to find more peace, maybe a little bit more lightness, maybe a little bit more compassion? And I'm going to slightly up the ante and say, what can you try to let go of today? Until next time, stand tall and start finishing. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.